think what we're going to do is just take turns and just see what happens. And, and I, I think Heather was too late on the scene, so you can share some of your questions yeah. with yeah, Heather, yeah. or you can, can ask Heather questions. Well, that's true. Or <laughs> we can still have someone write a question for Heather and send it, bring it to you. Is that all right? Or you can just sit here and listen yeah. to it. <laughs> all of the above. Okay. Hit it, Lizzie. Here's a good one. Okay, how do I respond in a kind, winsome way when a sister in Christ recommends a Rachel Hollis book to me? <laughs> I think kind and winsome. Just get a pants on fire sticker, just slap that thing on it. Now, um, I would say actually be frank. Don't, don't be so dodgy with your answers that they don't know what you meant. You know, like, I don't really have time to read. Ah, I just, just say, no, I'm not, I'm not actually interested. Or do you want to know what I really think? Like, if you recommend it to me, I'd love to read it and tell you what I actually think about the false teaching therein. You know, we have a great time. We could get together and talk about it. Um, but I would say, just, just say the thing clearly. And then continue to show love for the person who recommended it to you. Con you know, continue to just be a kind, friendly neighbor who was not afraid to say, I think that's garbage. I don't care for that book. <laughs> this is a wonderful question. What is a body shop? <laughs> and, it's, oh. and it's a- Plastic from, surgery from, center. From a, from a young attendee who wrote, who colored a picture for me of a colorful chicken. It is, thank you by the way, that's a cute chicken. A body shop is where you take a broken car and have it repaired. So the body of the car has been dented. So when we were a new church, we didn't have a building. So we had a friend with an auto, auto body shop, and that's where we met. So I'm going to do one more question. May I? Yes. Um, no, I'm actually, I'm going to wait and let Becca do it. Oh. I'm going to read. I'd like to I'm say, Becca and I have never misquoted Spurgeon. <laughs> Never! She Never. took that one personally because it was probably her. <laughs> I don't remember what it was, but it probably was me. Okay. I'm trying to sort mine because there's a few that are basically on the same thing. Um, one was, yeah, I have the, the good one. With I think the we all got the chicken. Yeah, Colored like chicken. Yes! This one. Um, do you always wear high heels? Mm-hmm. Not always. Yeah. Sometimes. Oh. Pretty much heels or barefoot, Rebecca. Heels or barefoot might be accurate. Uh, but there's another one on the heels. How would you describe the difference between bikinis and high heels? Woo! <laughs> we do. Don't wear them together. <laughs> Good, one. Good rule of thumb. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, personally, well, here I am in high heels. So clearly, I don't have a problem with high heels. I do have a problem with bikinis. I don't think that's a good way forward. However, um, I was just shopping for shoes with my daughter online, like yesterday. We were trying to order her some shoes for an event, and we were laughing at many of these high heels, and there were some of them where I was like, here is an example of how a shoe can be immodest. And you wouldn't think you could, but wow, can you? And, and so I, I think modesty applies to everything. I think just because it's on your foot doesn't mean it can't be trashy. 
and we all know how that can look. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't, it's not like I would say. I think that needs to be quoted. Just because it's on your, just because it's on your foot, does not mean it can't be trashy. Does not mean that. It's true. It's true. So anyway, I would just say that I don't think modesty is as simple as, um, you know, square inches of flesh. Although I do think to pretend like it doesn't involve that is also to miss the point of modesty. So. Um, I would say that it involves more than that. It, there's a lot that can be done with what are you implying, you know, as much as what are you exhibiting, and then there's what are you implying. And I think you can do that with lots of clothing items that aren't showing too much skin, if that makes sense. So I think modesty is, is a bigger, broader topic than just simply, yeah, simply flesh. So, go ahead. Hey, I've... Uh... Well, I've got the chicken one. What's your mom's name? That one's easy. Diane Lynn Garraway. But the second one, um, Nancy, you could answer as well. If you could go back and tell your new mom self a bit of wisdom amidst a hard day, what would it be? New mom. Okay, the first thing uh, I have two that come to mind right away is there's no day that you can't make worse by your attitude. <laughs> And that's Amen. just the way it is. And that applies, I mean, that's just general life advice. But especially as a new mom, um, you can definitely, I mean, it's like talk about trials. Like it's the little trials that pile up that cause you to send up a storm. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a real temptation. And I, I understand that. Um, but it's really get your attitude. You can't correct any, any toddler if your attitude is bad. And... and by correcting them with a bad attitude, it is not going to bear good fruit in the long run. So, so on the heels of that, um, one thing, and I think, Becca, I kind of remember this from maybe you and Ben, where you just, we'd ask how the day went, and you just were at home all day giving swaps. Like, that's a successful day. You know, like, being able to change your perspective as a young mom of what is a successful day. Like, oh, I went through this whole list of things, and I got all this stuff done. It's like, Guess what? If you had to do that at the expense of not being able to take care of the sin issues with your child, it actually wasn't a very successful day, and it probably set you backwards quite a bit. So um, it is okay to stay home and love on your child in that way, especially the early years. Um, just the nose, <laughs> the you know, and dealing with it in whatever in with discipline right away. And then, guess what, five minutes later, we're doing it again. And then we're doing it again. And all of a sudden, that list of things you had to do is not going to be even a little possible. And that is OK. And um, I think Nate, I mean, Nate also would come home. And if I had actually dealt with it all day, he would much rather come home to, to me just saying, we hung out here. And we <laughs> had a lot of discipline time um, than having me frazzled because I was so anxious to get all these important things done that I left the most important thing undone. And, as, and you, you really do learn, especially as time goes on, that if you deal with it early, kids are a joy as they get older. And you definitely see the cost of not doing that, of putting off something um, that could be, could be started when they're one um, and done when they're five, you know, for the most part, as far as like the actual constant lesson learning. Um, so that's my advice. Yeah, and that son of hers who laughed about thinking what God may have in store for us, was stubborn. She put the hours in, getting the fruit out now. You don't know about that, do you? <laughs> uh, okay, 
quick question. What's the hymn I read? It was glorious things of thee are spoken. And then this is a, this is a good question. Have specific children been more or less challenging for you to parent and why? And I would say yes, absolutely. And the most challenging parenting job I've ever had is myself and my own attitude. I'm the worst of the batch, really. <laughs> um, but as my husband is fond of saying, the things that tend to most provoke us in our children, like because there are children whose personality or their desires at certain times just cut with the grain. And oftentimes, the, when a child is being more difficult for you, it is because it is more reflective of your own sin. And it is drawing something to the surface in yourself. Um, and as my husband is fond of saying, you know, you think like, oh, you see a lot about yourself in your children. And that's really true. But sometimes it's like you're seeing like, it's like the back of your legs in the mirror. It's something that you don't like to look at or, or want to know is part of your personality. It's, it's easy to associate with the traits that you're like, wow. This one is just so on top of things. That must be like me. Must have gotten that from me. But, but it, is, it is almost universally for us when something has been challenging. It is more about us than it is about the child. And so, yes, we've had kids go on a hot streak of being challenging or a time when you need to focus on it or think like, okay, whatever we're doing here has not been working apparently and we need to work through it. But I can't think of a time when that has not involved examining things in yourself and in your parenting that you needed to look at and that you weren't wanting to look at. You had decided to not. All right, this one. What if a husband and wife have big doctrinal differences, like come from different traditions, um, uh, as in, um, I blanked, but I knew what it was, Seventh-day Adventist and Reformed, for example. Does the wife always defer to the kids' questions to dad? Is it disrespectful to ever say what the wife really believes? Okay, well, two big things here. When you are considering marrying someone that comes from a different stream of the Christian faith where there will be big differences, that ought to play into your decision-making. Because I really believe a wife needs to follow her husband so if you can't follow him into this church that he is in, you oughtn't be thinking of marrying him. And so that's the first thing. But let's say, well, thanks, but it's a little late now. Right. Okay. Now I would say you, you two need to talk about this. You need to have a plan. So how are we going to discuss how we celebrate the Sabbath? For example, are we going to worship on Saturday or Sunday? These are really big questions. So I'm not going to tell you, not knowing the whole situation, but you need to talk with your husband. Like, so honey, we need to get the kids on the same page. We need to be on the same page as a family. So, um, and like I said, I think a wife, when she marries a man, ought to be following him not trying to get him to come her direction, it's too late. So that's a, I'm sorry, I can't go more in depth without knowing more. And I'm going to do one more quick one. This is when you, uh, there's an aunt of my children who claims to be a Christian, but is living in sin with an ungodly man and still wants to be involved in my children's lives and our lives. How would you recommend my husband and I involve her and her boyfriend in our lives while trying to raise them, children, faithfully? Well, I would say 
you want to be straightforward with um, the ant. Say you know we're Christians and we love you. We don't believe you're living right, but we are well, you're welcome to come for dinner. We're not going to invite you to spend the night. You can get a hotel. Um, and I wouldn't give them babysitting, you know, ask them to babysit the kids, but I would include them like um, they are your family. So you can be hospitable without endorsing. But I would be upfront with the kids and just say, Aunt Susie is not walking with the Lord. She and Joe Schmo should be married, you know, and God doesn't approve of that. But we love them. They're our family. We're going to treat them courteously. They're made in God's image. But no, you're not going to go, you know, spend the weekend with them or, right. Any of you mothers want to comment on that? I would say don't, don't, um, Worry too much about what your children will say. Worry, you know, like, because that is often a worry. If I tell my kids that we don't approve of this, they might say to their aunt, Mom says you're immodest, uh, <laughs> which they may do. And, but I no, would they say, will. I would say one of my very fond memories was Daphne with her hands on her hips saying, Hey, why don't you believe in God? It, <laughs> standing in a sandbox, bringing the issues to bear. But, with those who were passing by. And, and, but that's part of the thing is to not be afraid of the good that children's frankness can also bring. Like, it, don't try to be like, but we're never going to mention it to them that they need God. So hush, hush, you know, kids. Yeah. Well, part of it is they're living in this world that's full of sin um, among Christians and non-Christians. So um, being able to call a spade a spade. Mm -hmm. You know, de definitely the euphemisms don't really get you anywhere in the long run. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, we've had to deal with some family issues, um, you know, tricky family issues on that, on that front. And we're just honest. We, we tell them the situation, and yeah, we'll love on them. And, but you can't, you can't make it shiny when it's not. You can't call it okay when it's not. So, but yeah, the earlier they learn just to call the spade a spade and um, how to do it graciously in, with the appropriate time to the person when need be, it's, they're going to be better off because it's not, it's not a problem that's going away. Okay, there are a few questions about um, dinner table conversation. So, tips on promoting vigorous dinner conversation when both parents are not big talkers. Um, <laughs> table culture by force. That's we'll not a problem. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't struggle there. Um, we'll do it if we have to, but we'd rather read a book and not talk to anyone. Um, what are your favorite ways to encourage, or no, to engage um, conversation with an unusually silent dinner crowd? <laughs> um, and then sort of related how do we show our kids especially a firstborn maybe how to discuss and disagree but as parents we always want to show a united front so I guess that's sort of different so on the um, trying to engage you know if you're not naturally that way I would say um, I teach a 10th grade rhetoric class that is I always laugh and say it's just how to have an opinion boot camp so some classes are naturally just more good at it than others so they have a bunch of outspoken kids and they all know what they think and they're comfortable you know having a great big shout up about something um but then there's other classes where they kind of look at you with big eyes like uh oh she just asked what i thought <laughs> um and so 
with those kinds of classes, I tend to just start small. And it's like, I know that this isn't the point of what my talk was, but it's like, we are going to talk about thin crust versus not thin crust pizza. You know, and just have an opinion. Yeah. Because those are places where they feel a little bit more comfortable, like, you know, it's not like having to take a stand on a big political issue. It's just, you know, and just practice on the little things, you know, and make them debate like cowboy boots or not. You know, those sorts of issues. And then, you know, and then you can gradually build up to it. So I feel like if it's if it's not sort of a normal part of your family culture that you, you know, discuss big things, just <laughs> I guess if you're trying to wade into it, just wade in from the shallow end. I, I think uh, movies and books are a great way to do it. Yeah. Especially a movie, you know, there's a lot of movies that are very clean, but deadly. You know, like the message they're preaching is basically from the pit of hell. Yeah. And so picking something that it's like you're not watching something that's foul, but you're watching something that, that the message is, is not, it does not reflect God's truth. And so there's a lot, there's actually a pretty big range of movies, starting with Disney, um, that you can watch for fun and then have some ice cream and talk about what the real issue is. So I, I've, I've found that. And then, um, yeah, uh, easy books are the same way. But movies are very low bar. Every, every kid wants to watch a movie. So it's a really quick way to jump into something. And then, like, maybe just asking easy questions like, who is your favorite character? Why did you like him? You know, because some people are really good at um, analyzing their own thoughts and motives right away, and they can explain exactly why they liked the person. And other people are like, I don't know. I just liked him. <laughs> and so just trying to, trying to practice that of, like, well, what was it? Was it his attitude or his clothes or... Was it the time period or, you know, like what was it that appealed to you about this and just practice trying to get good at why did you like him? Did you think the director wanted you to like him? You know, I. Well, it's also just creating active learners, you know, like and not, and not just passive recipients to, to what's, you know, because there's just so much information out there, so much entertainment out there. And the more you can actually get people, and your kids especially, um, thinking about what it is they're taking in, never actually being without an opinion completely um, when asked because it, it's, it's going in. It's getting, they're getting catechized. And so I think that is just starting in the shallow end um, and ultimately just making sure minds stay turned on and start engaging. The really shallow end, something we do at our dinner table pretty often, is like go around the table and every kid has to tell a story from their day. Like we want to hear from each of you something that happened today. Like tell... Tell the whole family, would and you? And get good at laughing about it. Yeah. Because that encourages it quite a lot. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And then every once in a while, I can remember, we haven't done this in a while, but I can remember my husband saying, we're going to go around the table, and each of you has to ask someone else at the table a question about what they just, you know, whatever. Everybody told their story, and then everybody had to ask a follow-up question. Um, and it, it's not like it needs to be fancy. You know, it's not like we have to do elite rhetorical exercises or anything. It's really like what happened at recess today. Tell us about it. So, but that's, it's just making people practice that. I think um, another part beyond just getting them to have opinions, doing that around the table, which is what we try to do um, as often as we can, it also, you're teaching them how to listen. How to listen, like, it's not enough just to like, okay, it's my turn. But actually listening to what somebody says and responding, and we 
you know, there's times where there's interruption allowed, but there's times where it's like, nope, we're going to listen to what they have to say. And then you can ask them something about what they said. So there's a lot of just human conversation skills as well as engagement with material that can happen um, as you, around a dinner table. So. And then on the um, what about disagreeing or teaching your children to do it um, when parents, as parents, you want to always show a united front. I would say that's showing discernment on what topics you're going to talk about. So like if you are the Seventh-day Adventist versus Reformed Christian, I wouldn't unpack that one at dinner. But like if my husband likes Rush, and I don't at all, that's a thing we can talk about. And you know, without getting all stressed out at one another or, you know, and, and you can have a friendly disagreement about a band without, um, you know, without having to feel like, no, we must be in lockstep all the time in front of our children. And if one of us likes bananas, we'd better both. Yeah. Decide now. <laughs> Pro bananas or anti bananas. I also what you said, like anything that is a friendly discussion is good between the parents. You know, not you don't want it to be heightened tension. Uh, it's just, is it? When are we supposed to stop? No idea. Okay. At three? Whoa. I thought that they are starting the next thing at three. No, two thirty to three. Two thirty. Oh, you're just gonna keep going and going. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Let's make it fun. Yeah. All right. Okay. Who's, who's supposed to be Heather's going? Heather. You got one. Let me. I'm gonna read it first. Do you wanna wait? Yeah, I'll wait a second. Okay, uh, Rachel, what about the death of our children? Is God using this for our sanctification and refining? Isn't that like sacrificing our children for the sake of our refining? How does this pain bring good? Okay, first of all, there's a bunch of questions in here. Um, is God using this for our sanctification and refining? Yes, absolutely. Ab like, absolutely, he is. At the same time, it is not like sacrificing our children for the sake of our refining in the sense that God has not lost that child, right? He didn't, he didn't lose track of a child that we lost, right? Someone, someone lost, a baby lost to us is not lost to God. And there's a real level here of who is the potter and who is the pot. Like, who are we to question God on those things? There's a, there's a, kind of primal level of submission in those moments uh, that Christians need to be willing uh, to acknowledge that, to acknowledge that I don't know. And yes, God's using it for your refining, but that's not the same thing as saying, this happened at this time, I'll see the refining at this time. And it's not like we know how God is going to use it, but we know that God is going to use it. And, and we are in no position to question him. And I think that how does this pain bring good? Uh, it brings good when we submit wholly to God and when we honor him in that. And I, I know when you were talking in your talk about the sweet spot, I think I know exactly what sweet spot you were talking about. It was about dad's cancer and it was about you, all of it, uh, the same things that Heather talked about. Um, but it was about dad's cancer and it was about in the waiting time when we didn't know what, what it actually would mean. And in that time, I remember you saying, I, I keep thinking, Lord, I don't think I'm ready to be a widow, right? I don't, I'm not ready, but still saying, but, but Lord, I will, I will do that and I will do it thankfully for you. You know, and I, I know it's, it's saying, if that is what you're calling me to do, I will walk through it 
here under the shadow of your wing. I'll be here. If I could add something, when uh, Doug just had this weird little bump and, you know, it took a few months before we found out what it was, he had a biopsy done and he, very slim chance that it would be cancer. So we weren't thinking that it would be. And we, I had to remind the man to pray about it. Could you pray about this? Like, we're, I the know man we being have the man with the we tumor. have a lot of things to pray for, oh. but let's pray that it isn't cancer. Remember? Okay, we well, would. So, I have, but I have to say, when I, I didn't uh, work it into this yeah. earlier, but it was really funny the first night when Nate told me about it. Like, I instantly was kind of in shock. Yeah. You know, like, ha, oh, that's a lot to deal with. And we are not home, and we're in a strange room on an air mattress. And immediately he's like, we have to pray. Yeah. We have to pray. And so I lay down, and he starts to pray, and I fall asleep. <laughs> she did. I heard and about that. it's, oh, man. She and did that two nights in a row yes, during their prayer And meeting. I did it two nights in a row. It was like Jesus with the disciples in the garden. And, <laughs> and, and Nate said his, his, one of his prayers had been like he was just worried about me worrying and me being anxious. Yeah. And, and so for him, in, in a way, it was an answer to prayer. But it was like, I felt like a pretty big white fail there. Because, I mean, it was literally like, I don't even remember past the, the, the God, totally out cold. And then, um, being the kind of person he is, that first night he put on Job on the audio Bible, but like two time. Yeah. Yeah. So he said he started laughing because it, double time, it sounded really funny. And he said the air mattress was shaking and I was still asleep. I like did not even, I did not even wake up through that. So, um... Anyways, the spirit was willing to pray, but... What were you going to say about asking Dad to oh, pray? Well, so Doug uh, texted me and said, hey, you want to meet me for dinner downtown? Because we do that sometimes. So I met him downtown for dinner. Sit down, and I'm chatting away. He started to say something, but I kept you know, going. And I was like, so what, what were you going to say? And he said, oh, well, the doctor called, and it is cancer. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, and... I remember feeling it like in my toes and just coming up and I knew I was going to cry and it got all the way here and I just said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. No tears. Now that's a mercy. We got them now. And we were bringing them. And we were, and I was okay. You know, I just like quit. That was happened so fast, but it was just like a feeling. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And he didn't mean to just drop that, but he did. He did drop that. But, um, but at any rate, and just, even after he knew it was cancer, he still, did, you still had to remind him. Well, I had him to, to remind him it. to pray about it. But it was just it God was kind. Time. God was very kind. I'm gonna just do a quick another question. Is that right? Yeah. So, how old were the kids when Doug started Christ Church? Well, it was Faith Fellowship back then. I think Becca was probably. Two and Nate was probably no three and Nate was maybe one. I mean, you know, they were somewhere in there. How would you say to mom the babies to a mom with babies whose husband wants to plant a church but she feels like she's in the sweaty eyeball phase? Where did they get that expression of sweaty eyeballs? The Jankovic family special, I um, think. Well, I would just say hunker down. Um, it was a little rugged. Yes, it was especially meeting in a body shop with little kids. I mean, you know. There was, a, there was a poster in the room that was used for, for the, the nursery that or, was yeah. an inappropriate poster that had to be covered up. I think it was a calendar. The calendar in the body shop in the nursery. 
<laughs> we look back and laugh. But so I won't say it was the easiest time of my life. It wasn't. I missed church a lot. And one time a college student said to me, So where do you go to church, Nancy? <laughs> like, what do you mean? And he said, Well, I never see you there. I thought maybe this was Doug's thing and you had your own thing. <laughs> I was home for six weeks, I think, when the kids had chicken pox going from one person to the other. Or, you know, I, if somebody was sick, I wasn't there. But it wasn't easy. And we have come a long ways, and now the children are with their parents in the service, and it's wonderful, and they're lear- just everybody's on a learning curve, and we... That's, I don't know. Soldier on. And I know I, it's true. Doug was up in front. I had one on each side and one on my lap. It's probably Rachel on my lap, I'm assuming, being the youngest. And just feeling sort of like an island, mm. <laughs> a very crowded island. But, you know, I, God is good. Yeah. We made it. Something I would add that's always good to remember is that God will not give you grace in advance for something. And so if God is calling you to do that, it's not like you're going to wake up and realize it's because you can afford it with all the grace that's already in your wallet for that occasion. Uh, he gives it to us when we need it. And so you can't go back like, a, like an accountant, you know, looking at the books to be like, we cannot do this thing because even though God's calling us to it, we don't have enough grace right now to do that. But he will supply what is needed as it is needed. It's like manna. It goes bad if you try to stash it. <laughs> okay. Would you consider public school a viable option for educating our children as a Christian family? Um, I would not. But that's, again, that's a whole talk unto itself. But I do think, um, I know that there's, there are moments out there that are impossible cases. And, it, you know, so I wouldn't say that each instance is sinful or something, but for a Christian family with kids, no, I don't think it's a viable option. I think that, um, you know, it's an easy option because it's free and everything, but um, there's always a price tag, really. You're always going to be paying for it somewhere, and you might not be paying for it out of your bank account, but you will be paying for it. And so I think it's far too expensive um, to do that to, you know, with your children's souls, really. And I'm not saying that, you know, God can't provide grace in the really complicated situations, but um, difficult cases make bad law, you know? So I would say, it's sort of like, would it be great to have one leg? It's like, no, it wouldn't, that's not ideal. It's not to say that somebody in that situation can't be faithful and, and obedient and God can give grace, but that's certainly not something you should try to get yourself into, you know? Like it's, that's a hard, place to be. So I know it's the short answer. Um, oh, are you just going to read it? You go. I thought you were going to. Okay. Something I've heard each of you mention in your writing and or speaking is the importance of cultivating gratitude in your children. How do you do this practically and how do you discipline ingratitude? I think the, the biggest uh, the biggest tip is actually cultivating gratitude in yourself and exhibiting it. You can't give what you don't have. You definitely can't demand what you don't already do. So um, in this area, um, 
we just, I mean, we just make a point of expressing it all the time. I don't know, uh, I don't know about anything more, more practical than that. Um, but especially um, the things you don't normally think of. You know, making sure you when there's a complaint, like as far as discipline, it, I don't know how much we discipline in gratitude unless it's wrapped up. It's often wrapped up with other things um, that we do discipline for. But um, if somebody's complaining about something, usually we, I encourage them to get grateful for it. You know, it's hard, we, hard to be grumpy when you're grateful. It's kind of our motto with the little ones. And so um, just giving, if we can give thanks, if we're called to give thanks in all things, that means we can give thanks in, in all things, in all times, in all circumstances. So um, I don't know, do you all have some tips? With the little, little, little group, we would always, well, I still do with Moses, just when he's fussing or whatever. They just say like, oh man, I am so sad too that you don't have a nose. I have a nose. I'm like, who gave that to you? God. Like, did you thank him for it? He says, so I'll say thank you, God, and then I'll say, it's so sad that you don't know how to run. I know how to run. I'm like, exactly. Who are you going to think about that? And so we'll just go through all the things. He might be fussing that I said, it's a no on the fruit snacks. You know, but there's so many things he has to be thankful for. Um, and I've even done it, so I've even given people, however, a timer to name 10 things they're thankful for. <laughs> like, move it, move it. Like, I want you to be able to get this quickly, have it quick to recall all of your physical blessings, your spiritual blessings. There's so many things around you all the time to be thankful for. And it is not a hard thing to teach your children to notice them. But I do really think it comes out of them seeing us do it. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's probably the biggest thing. And all, all things, all circumstances, all nature, all, I mean, there's just constantly things to be amazed at that God's put in the world. And Nate's really good at breaking it down with just like the, the ants that we pass on the sidewalk, the, the weather we have, the bad weather we have. Isn't it exciting, you know, as everybody's wanting to go outside and it ruined the plans. You know, it's like focusing in on like, what is the thing in the circumstances, is there a circumstance that we can give thanks to God for? Because there is something, yeah. there is always something. Okay, here's one. Do you have any more practical tips to practice being a dad-centered, creating a dad-centered home? Yeah, I would say a few things. Um, when, when I was decorating the house, I wanted it to look like a man lived there, you know, and not have it be frilly. Not, not that I would have. I'm not really frilly. But even so, bearing in mind, a man does live here. And then getting his opinion on things. We would make choices together. doesn't mean we had antlers in every room or, you know, but none, in fact. Uh, we, just creating a space where he could work that was his place where I wouldn't mess with stuff. It was his, his library or study. Um, you know, I didn't really have to do much to make dug the center of the home because it really was, so it was more um, deferring. And we, you know, we looked forward to when he was coming home. We were making preparation, getting ready for dad's arrival when he'd get home again, when the kids were younger. So just anticipating, welcoming, uh, deferring to, uh, just anything else you can think of? You grew up there. <laughs> okay, She's I hope telling that the truth. 
what we did. Okay. Uh, in your book, You Who, you talk about throwing away your article of clothing from Abercrombie and Fitch after reading a line about their anti-gospel message in a magazine. Uh, how do you discern what you will not associate yourself with in regards to corporations or people who will not profess Christ and therefore obviously do not profess his message and philosophy? Examples that come to mind are Christians boycotting. Um, okay, so the question is basically how to discern in this. In the, in the book, I tell a story about how I had gone to an Abercrombie and Fitch I had never seen the store before. It was like when they first were making their comeback. It was visiting a different city. And it was a beautiful store with beautiful big black and white pictures of ships on the wall. Um, but I just happened to catch it right at that moment before they came out with their first totally scandalous kind of homo porn catalog, which is what it was pretty much. Um, so I bought stuff. I had a shirt that said Abercrombie and Fitch on it and a hat that said A&F big on it. Um, high school. Yeah, I was in high school. And then they sent me the catalog, and I opened the catalog, and the first page is like, it said this is a lifestyle magazine, not just a catalog. And then they said it was spring break, so they said, let's face it, we're all just looking for someone to sleep with over spring break. This is the welcome to the brand you have upon your shirt, you know, as a high school girl. And it, at that time, it actually was, when Abercrombie did that, it was in the public eye, it was scandalous, it was a thing that happened. And they started, at that time, they started their campaign, you know, to go around colleges and get the new models to be wildly inappropriate for their catalogs. It was a clear line. And to me, it, it was like when I went to a local business to get lunch and they had a sign on the door that said, celebrating however many years it was at that time since Roe v. Wade with a party, they go with a party to celebrate abortion. And I was like, you know, actually I'm not into your food. This was, you know, and it, it, it wasn't because I think I would um, say I, I, no Christian mate. Same, same place, not my favorite. <laughs> yeah, no, can't go but there. But I don't, I'm not advertising to everybody, hey, we're boycotting, but it's like, no, but I was like, I'm sorry, you're not on my team. You know, like, that's just, no, you made it clear you're not on our team. My husband, my husband found the same business to not be on our team because of how slow they were at preparing the food. In the, <laughs> having worked in a Chicago foods uh, place, he has opinions about how people behind the counter ought to be hustling, and he was unimpressed. So we boycott that business for different reasons. Um, <laughs> But, but the boycott is informal. The shirt, I did not throw away the shirt that only had the name inside of it. You know, it was not, it was not declaring like my alliance with this. So, so for instance, Starbucks or, um, I don't have a problem getting food or drinks at Starbucks. I don't stand by all of their principles, but I am also not like super into the Starbucks tchotchke. You know, I'm not wearing big Starbucks shirts everywhere or me and Starbucks. We're like this, you know, I'm not into that. Um, so I just think it is, a, it is something to use discernment about and not to be frantic as though uh, all those great words in scripture about meat sacrificed unto idols were not in there. It, it is in there. We're gonna do one more question, even though we didn't get to all of them. Becca's gonna kind of summarize several yeah. together and answer that and then we'll... Yeah, so sorry if we didn't get to your question, um, but there are a bunch here that are asking for, um, yeah, there's a pile that are all saying, basically, how do you help your girls translate their education to application for being a wife and mother or just being a godly woman, even if they're not gonna be a wife and mother necessarily. Um, how do we do that? 
Thoughts? I I thought a book was a book title was born that is dancing backwards. Like <laughs> I thought that during the talk. I was like, that needs that needs to happen. Somebody Ooh, write that. Idea. Somebody. Um, it's such a huge, huge topic, honestly, and I feel like it's something that probably all of us have in some way or other had to think about. Um, I think it hits college girls, it seems to me. It hits them pretty early on into college. It's like, what am but I a, doing this for? A good liberal arts education equips you to live whatever you want to do. So after you have a good liberal arts education, you ask God to show you what's next. It could be any number of things. And so I would just say, well, what do you love doing? What do you want to do? What opportunities do you have? And what um, are your desires? Dad's thing is ability, opportunities, and desires. Yeah. But I would say, don't start um, something you don't want to finish if God sends the right man in the next few months. So just, you know, be reasonable. Yeah, but just not thinking that the point of your education was that paycheck right. anyway. Right. And I think if you can make that conversion, I think that's true for men. It should The point of education should absolutely not be just yeah. for the paycheck. And if it's true for the men, it's similarly true for the women. This is about turning you into an obedient worshiper of God. It's about, um, you know, worshiping him with all your mind. It's not about whether or not now you're certified for whatever career. And also, um, I mean... You don't know what God's going to bring your way right. and who's going to, God's going to bring your way. I mean, because you all have been, you've taught, you're teaching, right. teaching, taught, writing. Like there's the little kid phase where you are focused just on little kids is actually goes very quickly. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of ways, you know, if you're married that you and your husband can, will be your, your, your partners, you're talking, you're like, if you have, if you have an education, you have more to talk about. And if he's, you know, you have input, you know, you, you, you know, your friends, you want to be able to actually think about the things he's thinking about and discuss the things he's thinking about and make choices together because you, you know how to think at all. And, um, it's, you don't go wrong by don't really training, it. training the things, training, training the tools God has given you. And so, amen. Thank well, you all for thank coming. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.